Welcome to the podcast of the Urban Mystic. This is season two where we meet with fellow deconstructors, fellow journeymen and journeywomen to hear the story of their first experience of God, calling to ministry, deconstruction and present journey. So our guest for this episode is Natalie Simmons. I thoroughly enjoyed connecting with her. She is a she's a former pastor, you know, wonderful mother of three sons, uh, been married for 25 years. Uh, and she really has described herself that way in in relational terms. She she writes her own blog and is a great communicator of of, of her thoughts and her ideas and and her process. The link is is in the show notes. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with with Natalie. We we definitely went to the personal spaces and from there to the realm of having a bit of an axe to grind but in a really good way. And I, I, I really enjoyed being able to, to go there and get such a different perspective of, of what it's like to be a woman in ministry. And especially a woman who has been in various different traditions from those that are very conservative that exclude women from ministry to those that are very empowering and very inclusive of women. And uh, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed this as a conversation and I'm looking forward to interacting with Natalie more in the future. Yeah, I agree. I just, I felt that the kind of the feminine energy that both Natalie and our other female deconstructor brought to the season was just so wonderful. Uh, and they spoke in very different ways, but very also equally vulnerable and open. There's a different energy that the two of them bring to the conversation, which, you know, Tim, you mentioned a while back really would have been missing if we hadn't had this sort of diversity in guests which is really, really awesome. And I think I even look forward to even more diversity in different guests and viewpoints in, in subsequent seasons. I, I'm sure we're going to do interviews again. But it was just so awesome. And I, I actually spent quite a large part of this conversation doing a lot more listening than usual. And part of that was just because I think the connection and the relationship between yourself and Natalie just flowed so well. And she was just taking us through these moments and these steps and these seasons of her life and so incredibly insightful, so wonderfully insightful, uh, as you say, to get um, a woman's view on being in the church, the roles, the exclusions, these limitations, these barriers that are put up, all these all sorts of weird and wonderful things, and then her current season as well. So I really, really thoroughly enjoyed uh, almost being a fly on a wall for this, uh, part of this, this episode. I'm very keen to know what your initial experience with God was and what the event or process or journey was that that connects that to you going into ministry and planting a church. As a child, I went to the Presbyterian Church, which actually I'm incredibly grateful for. I got such sound theological teaching as a child, and I always hated going to Sunday school. So, And my parents were, were perfectly okay with me sitting in the main service with them. And I think we were just very privileged to have some really good preachers. So it was something I guess I took for granted at the time, but, you know, now looking back, realize how privileged I was. And then my mother died when I was quite young. I was 13. Okay. She was a very, very strong Christian. I think it was almost as a sort of, I suppose, honoring her that I sort of committed myself to, you know, um, being a person of faith as a teenager, but my my I would say I had quite a quite a dry relationship with God, 
I mean, in, in some ways, I suppose very real because like I, I would say, depending on him just to get through the loss of, of, of a mother at a young age, but on the other hand, sort of not really, yeah, I don't know, just being quite dry, like not really knowing how to have a relationship with God. And I used to do a lot of Bible study, which is also something that stood me in good stead. I, I would literally just like read pieces and make my own notes. And I don't even know what prompted me to do that. I know I've, I put in a lot of work, I suppose, in those years that, that's also sort of stood me in good stead later on in life. wasn't particularly impressed later on as a teen with, with my particular Presbyterian church. I remember a friend and, and I got nominated as to be elders at the sort of tender age of, of 20 and 21. Mm. <laughs> I mean, the whole <laughs> sort of notion of an elder, mm. you know, mm. was yes. that you would, <laughs> you would sort of be old and wise. But it was, it sort of, to us, it signified sort of the dearth of, of just spiritual leadership in the church that we would be nominated <laughs> to be elders at that age. It didn't really, um, I don't know, I can't remember, it just didn't accept or whatever. But just found that the whole church never really related to anyone in the church. As I say, it was very sort of a dry affair. And then I went to university and I, yeah, I think my faith took a bit of a, a backseat role. And then I did a BA in English and psychology, like half the world. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I was very... Um, very much wanting to go into psychology. So I guess I, uh, you could say there was a, a sort of a ministry mindedness even then in me. Mm-hmm. And then I had a, a strange experience in my second year. I, I kind of accidentally got involved with a, a cult. <laughs> Two girls came to my room, you know, and said, oh, don't you want to join a Bible study? And I was, I was, I guess I was sort of feeling a bit guilty that I wasn't really very spiritually minded and I said yes and and so they started coming and it was a bible study so you know from the get-go it was like this is weird because like to me a bible studies we all come together and discuss not two people arrive and kind of very much have an agenda and yeah so it took me a while to sort of suss out what was going on but the sort of striking um, feature of the whole thing was that I felt so deeply uncomfortable about the whole thing from the get-go. And even though I could never fault them at any point, you know, there was just this, this deep sense of this, something's wrong here. Like I can't put my finger on it. And then um, at sort of similar, sort of a month or so later, I also then happened to stumble across some people from Campus Crusade for Christ who were very active on this uh, campus in those days and started chatting to the person about this other Bible study. And she then sort of alerted me to the fact that this was a cult. And then, yeah, and then suddenly it just, you know, with her giving me a bit of insight, it suddenly all fell into place. But what, what absolutely struck me about that encounter was was that that deep-seated discomfort was the Holy Spirit telling me something's wrong here. And so I just remember being absolutely convicted at that point, like, wow, you know, the Holy Spirit is like real and active in my life and I really can and should rely on him. And I, I sort of attribute that whole experience then to like a reawakening for me spiritually. 
And then I subsequently got incredibly involved in Campus Crusade. So I always joke that in my third year, I majored in Campus Crusade and English and psychology because I literally spent more hours doing stuff with and for Campus Crusade than I did in my BA. I pretty much sold out to, to Campus Crusade like totally. Like I think partly because I'd never, having grown up in the Presbyterian Church and I don't know, just never related to anyone. And then suddenly I was like with intelligent people who were reading C.S. Lewis and having deep conversations and who were spiritually, you know, alive. And and it was just such a wonderful, exciting time. And I was so inspired. And then, and of course, Campus Crusade is, is, I don't know how much you know about them, but they very evangelical, <laughs> you know, and it's all about, sharing your faith and the four spiritual laws and all of that stuff. And although that didn't sit so well with me, like it felt really awkward, the whole thing about sharing your faith, I kind of just bought into it all. I'm, I'm quite a, I've always been quite a like rule follower and sort mm-hmm. of quite a compliant person. So it was like, okay, you know, you're telling me this is the way, you know, this must be the way. And, mm. and so then when, and, and every conference, you know, I went to every conference and every camp and, and, you know, they were always telling us, this is what God wants you to do is like be a missionary and share your faith. And, and so when, when it came to joining STAR, it was like a no brainer to me. It was like, well, why would I be going to be a psychologist and then maybe not be able to talk about Jesus when I could be a missionary and talk about Jesus? And then I remember just kind of being so surprised that all the other people in Campus Crusade weren't joining STAR. And I was like, but hang on, isn't this like, like sort of almost like looking around going, isn't this what like they've been telling all of us we have to do? Like, why, why aren't you all doing it? You know? <laughs> and then thinking, and then just sort of deducing, oh, well, and maybe I'm called <laughs> in inverted commas, you know, maybe that's why I'm the one responding to this. Okay, so then I joined um, staff and I really hated it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I really hated sharing my faith with people. It felt very awkward and uh, I always, I just cringe actually thinking back on it. And although I always like to think that I did it as nicely and tactfully and gently and as I could, I just hated that um, very, like what I would now term aggressive evangelism. The seal the deal kind of evangelism. I suppose a lot of things happened in those years, but I mean, one of the things was so few people ever, in inverted commas, converted, you know, or came to Jesus, which made me question, like, you know, what's the deal here? You know, they're telling us, oh, the fields are ripe for harvest, you know, but Mm. I'm not seeing anyone come to Jesus. So, (laughs) you know, what, am I doing something wrong? What's going on here? So after two years, I sort of moved out of the campus ministry and I went and I worked in the head office and I, I just assisted with newsletters and did more administrative type stuff. And I tried to, I then started, well, I, actually someone else started it and I took it over from them, um, but it was something that wasn't established. And I tried to make a support for all the people after they left campus because it sort of also became apparent that for a lot of us campus crusade was our church 
even though Campus Crusade was big on the fact that you should not, you should still go to your local church and we're a parachurch organization and we're supporting the church. But the reality was for most of the students, it became their church. And then they'd leave and it would be like leaving church. They'd lose everything. They'd lose the support, everything. They wouldn't know how to adjust back into church. Yeah, so I tried to start something there, but it was a bit of a struggle. And then I think I met my husband and Campus Crusade has this delightful policy that, or did at the time, um, that you both parties have to be on stop. And so that became a bit of a stumbling block. My husband actually gave it a go. He was very sport-minded, and so we went to Canada for a year. They have a branch of Campus Crusade, which had a, a very in, like soccer-related ministry, and so we gave it a try for a year. But we basically came out of that both saying, no, we, we, we're not going to you know, be on staff. And actually then there in Canada, we kind of both had an experience of church that was very fresh and new. And we went to a church there and their tagline was a safe place for a dangerous message. And they were at the time sort of very on the cutting edge of being seeker sensitive when that was a thing. And yeah, we were, we were just so impressed with what church could be. So instead we came back and we threw ourselves wholeheartedly into our little local church to the extent that we were, well, I know I was like four nights a week. Bible study, worship, um, youth, whatever. We were, we were in there lock, stock, and barrel. And then suddenly, yeah, it like all changed. It was like, whereas before with Campus Crusade, I'd been sort of a bit disillusioned with the church as an institution um, and thought, you know, parachurch was where it was at because they were really doing the stuff, getting the message out. And then suddenly I had this new vision like church could be super sensitive. Yeah. And then, a few things started to irk us. Um, it was a, it wasn't, we were in a little independent church, but it was basically very Baptist. I think some of the things were, um, so the issue of, of women in leaderships, it started to be an issue. Uh, you mean the thing of women in leadership or the, or, the, or the absence of women in ministry? Absence, yeah. Like, I remember at one point I was literally told that if, a woman led worship, like the singing, um, like one of the elders should like literally be standing on the stage. And I was wondering why, because did they have to like jump in at some point if we said something heretical and like carry us off the stage or like, like how is that going to play out? <laughs> wow. It's to, it's to counteract the congregational sexual desire. I think that's the problem. And then I had also, um, uh, I've got to mention that in Canada, I read a book by Jack Deere. Surprised by the voice of God, surprised by the power of the Holy Spirit. The voice of God, that's right. And then, yes. And then I read the, the his other one, which was, I think, surprised by the Spirit. And then that was when I sort of intellectually decided I was a charismatic. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. so, like I hadn't really had an, a sort of charismatic experience, but like I, I bought the theology of it. And then because that wasn't also very acceptable, like, yeah, we, it was very much in a cessationist church, that also became a problem. And that's then we had friends who were in the vineyard and then we started going to a couple of their services. And then we were 
just about to switch over to the vineyard. And then we decided to move to Michalisburg. So at that time we were still in, in Joburg in the suburbs. And then we came to Michalis and there were no churches really, as far as we knew, apart from like the Enchia church. And so there was a little fellowship. And I say like not a church, like a, a, a meeting of a couple of Christians or about 10 Christians. They were meeting at the Mount Grace Hotel. And we, we happened to move with our friends who were in the vineyard. So there were four of us, um, actually, and five, including my father. So the five of us joined this little fellowship and all being sort of ministry-minded Christians, we all again left in lock, stock and barrel and um, try, made, try to make a real go of that. And, and we probably did for about, again, I don't know, three, four years. I can't remember exactly. And, but the person who was leading it had a Church of England, uh, is it Church? Yeah, I think Church of England background. And lo and behold, we again headbutted on the woman issue because me always being an outspoken woman, I always had a lot to say and it became apparent that he didn't like the idea of women leading a Bible study or leading anything like that really. And then we had uh, some of the other people who were joining the fellowship were from, from quite a charismatic um, mission school. And they then were praying in tongues and he then forbade them to pray in tongues. And then even though I don't pray in tongues, I thought that was like the most blatant like disregard of scripture because it basically says, do not forbid anyone praying in tongues. So, so, so between that and the, again, the women issue, it became an, a big thing. And then I was reading Brian McLaren at that stage. So I was reading a new kind of Christian and thinking like, duh, this is what I've been saying or thinking all the time. And here's someone who's written a book on it. Like I could have written this book. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, and then when I was bringing up some of the issues, they were not received well at all. Mm. So like when mm. I try to explain, you know, the thing about scripture, that Brian McLaren says like, you know, saying scripture has authority over you is like just a whole wrong way of looking at scripture and everything. Mm. And so, yeah, all of these factors combined. And then, you know, our friends felt the same way. So, um, and by then we had a, another, so anyway, in the end of us, about eight of us broke away from that fellowship. And then we started our own church plant. So that's how we got to planting a church. Classically, there's there's two schools of thoughts when it comes to, to to ministry and women in ministry, and even single people in ministry, I guess. But but some churches are very open to the to the idea of going. It doesn't matter who you are, male, female, young, old. You know, if God calls you to serve or you've got something to contribute, you just you just do it. But other churches, and particularly more conservative churches, and some of the older denominations, you know, some of them have gone through that review and then have decided to allow women to be leaders in churches and to be in ministry and be upfront, and others haven't. Like it, it just seems to me like that is a tremendously frustrating journey for people in general. But I imagine it's been really frustrating for you in particular. How how much has it rubbed you up the wrong way? Yeah, and how do you cope with it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would actually say my experiences in the church made me a feminist. <laughs> like I really, I, I, 
I feel like I never had an axe to grind. You know, I... Mm. Um, well, at least you I, didn't come in with an axe to grind, but they no. certainly gave you one and helped you sharpen it. Absolutely, <laughs> yes. And I mean, I think it goes back even to my Campus Crusade days. It was actually my very first year in as a staff member. And the director of our team was a, I don't know, I want to say 28-year-old male who had come from the States that same year. So he got appointed as the director of a, of a team in a country where he's in a cross-cultural situation, plus he's young, and he got appointed over a 35-year-old woman who had way more ministry experience than him, was South African. And I was just like, what the hell? You know, why has he been made the leader of the team just because he's a man? He's the only man. So, you know, so why they made him the leader of the team? Like, this just doesn't make sense at all. So I think that was the first time it started to sort of irk me. And then, as I say, then, of course, in the the two church experiences I I had, and I guess I was, like, looking back now, I realize that my father and mother were feminists, you know, like, they totally grazed me that way. But I didn't, as I say, it was never an issue, you know, but I was never taught not to be strong and independent. I just was. So, and then I was kind of a shock to get into circles where you realize Wow. That, that, that somehow you're not, you're not supposed to be, you're supposed to hold back. Oh, and then I think it, the other thing that used to really irk me in Campus Crusade was that policy where both husband and wife had to be on staff. And so in a lot of cases, it felt like the husband was actually the one who wanted to be in the ministry and the wife just was because she had to be. And so she, of, she often wouldn't arrive at whatever event it was. She just stayed home. But like the excuse would be, you know, like she's looking after the kids or whatever or something. Yeah, it just it just didn't sit well with me, you know. Um, yeah, so I, I think it just became more and more and more of an issue. <laughs> the vineyard was actually the first place that really just affirmed me as a woman in ministry. So that was a wonderful experience, yeah. So that must have been quite a transition. What, what was that like moving from this kind of stone wall what I hear you describing experience of the men in ministry through to Vineyard and the acceptance. Um, yeah, it was. And it, but it, it was, it was weird in the sense that, so as our little group of eight that we're just meeting, um, you know, for a while we just met and I, I just think always like, if you don't appoint a leader, like someone just takes charge and I'm like that kind of person, like I don't have to be the leader, but if no one else is going to do it, I'm going to, step up because and that's it felt like that's just what happened and I felt I have ministry experience you know I have time like I want to do it so um so I just stepped more and more into that role and then eventually as a group you know we agreed that I would be the leader and then we went to the vineyard and said look we've we've already sort of planted a church can we come under your wing and then, and they were like, great, perfect, you know? Yeah, and then just never any issues. I mean, look, I was still, every time I would go to a vineyard pastor's meeting, there would only be one or two women. 
you know, there, there was still work to be done. <laughs> Let's put it that way. So, sorry, by one or two women there, do you mean one or two independent women or one or two women that were also attached to a man? If I, if I can put it as blunt as that. There, so there was actually one other woman that was actually pastoring a church that was at the meetings. And then I knew there was another woman who was, who was leading a church in Zimbabwe, but I didn't often get to see her. Okay. And then there were a few other women who were sort of in just, just strong leaders, but they weren't actually pastoring a church. But look, it also took me, it took me a long time. So our, our whole sort of, that whole plant lasted six years. And it took me a long time to kind of take on that mantle of pastor because I hadn't ever, it's, you know, it's not like I was one of these people who went, oh, I want to be a pastor. It just sort of happened. And for a long time, I just saw myself as a facilitator. Like we would invite speakers or I would source something. And um, so for a long time, we just carried on like that. And then the one guy that we used to use a lot, I don't know if you know Charles Payne, he, he kind of said, you know what? I think it's time you guys started doing your own preaching. <laughs> he kind of challenged us that way. Although from, even from the early days, we were, uh, myself and the other, my friend, my other female friend, we were actually taking the lead in, in sort of doing a bit of teaching. Yeah. So it was like with much sort of trepidation, like I'd, I'd always, from back from my crusade days, I mean, I had done teaching and I always enjoyed it. So I was up for it, but I wasn't like totally sure about this whole being a pastor thing. Yeah, it took me a long time to get there. And I, and I never actually saw myself as doing that indefinitely. I don't know. I did have a few moments where I was like, I'm going to be the next Joyce Meyer. That <laughs> 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 sort of past. <laughs> and even now, I'm embarrassed to say sometimes, like people say you pastor the church because really, like the size of the church, like would be your home group in other churches, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, I do feel like when I talk to other people, I think all the issues that you you, you deal with in a church of like fifteen, twenty, are the same that you deal with in a bigger church. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you've got to do a similar amount of, uh, of 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 work. You know, you just uh, you just get paid a lot less. <laughs> well, as it turns out, I didn't get paid anything. In fact, we were probably the biggest financial contributors to the church. So yeah, it probably could have been a contributing factor to it not working out in the end. So, so you transitioned from from running a church to to not running a church. What what was that journey for you? And was there a, a deconstruction for you in terms of? the institution of the church? Okay, so already just the way we ran the plant, to me, I guess, was a bit of a deconstruction because, as I said, we, myself and some of the others were reading Brian McLaren and we were so, we called ourselves Ecclesia <laughs> because we were trying desperately just to be a church, <laughs> just to be Christians, you know, Jesus followers and not be a denomination. And like, I kind of really like the vineyard because it, it has a strong focus on values rather than doctrine. You know, it wasn't like you have to believe this or that or a do this or that. So we kind of moseyed on and, and pretty much did our own thing. And we, 
Um, I loved um, one of my other favorites, not that I've read tons of him, but um, Frederick Buchner talks about the church being like an AA meeting or that, you know, that would be such a, a wonderful model. And we really, we, I tried to apply that, you know, a few times we, we would just, I'd just say, look, we're going to have one of those AA mornings and we're just going to stand <laughs> up and say, you know, my name's Natalie and I'm a sinner and this, this is what I'm struggling with, you know, and with no one having to give you advice or tell you what to do, but just hearing you mm. and just acknowledging, yeah, you know, you're battling with that and this is tough and you know, we were just really trying to be authentic and real. And what we also were trying desperately to do was to have an interracial church. Well, we first met in our home and then we met in a, another little location. And then we deliberately chose to meet in the local township. There's a, a college there, a West Coast College then. So we met there deliberately so that we could be within access of black people in the township and so to a large extent we were we were successful like we we had a very integrated congregation except that most of the black people were not local South African (laughs) they were Zimbabwean or Malawian or why do you feel that that doesn't count towards the success there's just something in there that you said that for it to have been successful you had to have had local black South Africans as opposed to just uh, you know an interracial congregation yeah hmm um I'm not sure I think I think it it was a success I suppose in in that sense but I, I couldn't see it growing I think because of that because the black people that were coming were were like people who did, felt they didn't fit in anywhere else and so like I felt like none of the sort of local you know people saw us as an option really and again there, I think there are various reasons for that I think location is a big one like all other vineyard plants are in big towns or cities and we were the only ones trying to do it in like a really rural, rural area and I think people generally black and white are quite conservative and so we were trying to do this quite radical way of church <laughs> you know, with this radical integration thing in this quite conservative area. And I tried to I tried to kind of groom two male black pastors to take over from me. The first one was someone that was introduced to me by the vineyard. And and he was an amazing um sort of preacher and intellect, but he never he never seemed to like I was looking for someone that could you know, make inroads into that community and build the church that way. And he just didn't seem able to do that. So, and then he, he, and then he just kind of disappeared <laughs> like from one moment to the next without letting us know. So that was that. Then we, then we um, had a local guy who'd grown up in Michalisburg and I thought, this is the guy. He's going to be pastoring this. And I was happy to kind of like, you know, mentor him because he was younger, a lot younger than me. And then, um, yeah, there were there were still some issues. One of the which was that his wife didn't want to come to our church. <laughs> his wife <laughs> wanted to go to her big Pentecostal church, so that was a bit of a, a problem. Yeah, and then he died. It 
horrible story, but basically died from flu. Um, like in his, wow. you know, at the age of like 30. So, sure. wow. yeah. And, and I think, and then I think at that point I just burnt out, you know, um, so that's, and then we just, we just called it quits. We said, it's been a great journey and it's been, it's been meaningful, but it just, it's not sustainable. Can, do you mind if I ask Natalie burnt out in terms of just kind of the, the length of your time in ministry, as I hear you describing sort of moving from through the different spaces or burnt out in that specific season in terms of what you were trying to bring together in that specific plant? Is there a combination of those things? And as you look back, are there, are there ways in which you can detail that? Was a little bit of both. I think it was, it, I think it was like, we've been trying to do this thing for six years and we're still the ones arriving, unlocking, sweeping the floor, putting out the chairs, setting out the coffee, um, you know, doing the, mm. <laughs> the sermon. There were no leaders. And again, one can say that is the role of a pastor is to develop leaders. But I kind of kept praying like, God, bring me leaders. Like, like I don't want to carry this alone. And I just mm. felt like I had been carrying it alone and just sure. wasn't turning out. And so I think on that level, it was just, oh, this is just too tiring. Mm. Mm. And then I think on a personal level as well, I think there was a bit of perhaps personal neglect in my own spiritual life. I just remember getting to a point where I thought if I stand up and pray now, I do not have words. Like I have nothing more to say. So best I don't say it. There's quite a tax. I mean, a, a lot of churches that, that meet in established structures that have got their own buildings and they've got their pews and they've got their own venue. They don't pay the same kind of overhead tax that that that, that the independents do. Mm-hmm. Whereas you say you've mm. got to you've got to arrive, you've got to pack up, you've got to pack down afterwards. That that bookends your your, your church service, your public gathering. So you've got to arrive that hour or two early, and you've got to leave that hour or two late because you've got to take care of all that kind of stuff. I mean, that definitely that definitely adds up. And I think it's that if I might jump in as well there. In my experience, and then where I've sort of walked with other pastors in those sort of situations, it's that in terms of like the contrast from church to church, but also I, if, I don't know if you would share this, Natalie, as well, if I'm perhaps projecting into your story, but there's the idea of even internally, there's just those one or two or three people that often end up doing that two-hour arrival. So compared to the church down the road, who can just, you know, pitch up, plug in their microphone, shuffle their papers and kind of get going, it's different. But also internally, there's that sense of the sort of the community within the community almost that really drives this thing. I don't know if that resonates with you as well. Yeah, just, I suppose, just feeling like it was all on my shoulders and I just wanted to, if I could have sat in a pew for a while, but there just wasn't that luxury. And, and I, have to, I have to just be very clear here. I mean, I got so much support from the vineyard. You know, I mean, so many of the churches came and out over the years and brought their, a team and preached and brought their worship teams. And um, I had two, two guys, um, you know, um, Wayne and Andrew, who met with me, you know, often and encouraged me. But it was always, you know, it was always like a 45-minute drive for me to also go to be at the Vineyard Pastors things. And 
Oh, and I think, you know, one of the things, I think um, I also started teaching at a um, school. And so then I started not being able to go to the um, pastor's meetings because those would always be on a Tuesday. And so I think it was a whole combination of things, you know, that it just wasn't sustainable. Sure. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm interested to know as well, because there, there is a barrier in terms of, of women and ministry. And I think it, I think it's twofold. I think there's the classic thing of, of women aren't allowed in ministry. And if you overcome that, to what degree is there almost a lack of, of models, a lack of clear, uh, you know, vision or idea of what it means to be a pastor and what it means to be a female pastor. Does that, does that play a role for you? Or do you think it did play a role for you? Or, or am I just uh, shooting off in the dark here? Let's say in the sort of last two years of the plant, I mean, um, we we had the, the big annual vineyard conference and I was invited to take one of the ma- the big sessions to teach. Um, it was like, it was such an honor and I, you know, and it really went well. I mean, Alexander Fenter, I mean, he stood up afterwards and he said, that's one of the best talks I've ever heard about the Bible. And I, you know, which was so humbling to hear from someone like him. And um, at that point I was so, I, I just saw my path in the vineyard, you know, I, I thought maybe I don't have to be a pastor, but I could serve on the national team or there were all sorts of possibilities. But then at that very same conference, and, and the funny thing was that whole conference leading up to the conference, I'd been asked to preach about the Bible, you know, why the Bible's important, something like that. And the whole time I was preparing, I just felt like I really wanted to give a talk about women and a woman in ministry. And I, I, by then I I'd sort of had a bit of an axe to grind. And anyway, I just thought, no, I can't, you know, I can't ask to, you know, I haven't been asked to speak on that and I can't push myself to speak on that. Lo and behold, I get there and the, some of the younger women in the vineyard had done a talk, had prepared something on that. So that was very exciting. And she did it far more graciously than I would have done. Um, but then at the end of this, so she said, she sort of said, like, she feels like this is the time for women to step into ministry and, and, you know, sort of take our place and all this. She said, but what we want to do is we just also want to thank the women that have like gone before us and kind of done the groundwork to you know bring us to this point. So she said, would all the, you know, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to sort of pray for all the women under 40 and sort of like, almost like commission them. And then, and then we did that. And then afterwards, we're going to pray for all the women over 40 and sort of like thank them. And I was 40 at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh my word, which group do I go with? <laughs> like, like, have I missed the boat? You know, like, am I like, I'm like, a, am I has been now? Like, I, like, I'm not the one who's done the groundwork. Like, thanks, you can be accepted. <laughs> we'll take it from here. <laughs> it was like a real, oh, heck, kind of moment. <laughs> so I'm interested, which one did you stand up for? <laughs> I think I stood up for the, the has-beens. <laughs> yeah, so, 
I don't know. I think it, I think it threw me perhaps more than it should have done. <laughs> and I sort of thought, okay, well, maybe I'll just leave it to these younger women now to take it from here. And then unfortunately, I think life just got in the way. I think I think for me, actually living so far out, has, it just was a stumbling block because it prevented me getting further involved with the vineyard. And let's be honest, I think the minute I sort of stopped the plant, I think I dropped off their radar a little bit. You know, it sort of felt like, okay, we, we, like we invested in her, but she dropped the ball. Yeah, then I was, then I was in a sort of a bit of a, a wasteland again. Earlier, you spoke in terms of some of the language that, that we've used quite often in our conversations, yeah, and that's a distinction between the institution of the church and the ecclesia. How has how your idea and your concept of that evolved from your early days? You know, the, there's, there's, there's quite a clash of traditions in your story, quite a mix of just different church streams, different expectations. For about two years after, or two or three years after we, we had stopped the plant, we, we tried other churches, two different vineyard churches. Like we drove for like 30, 40 minutes to go to a vineyard church and just eventually like the kids were moaning and, you know, and, and you can't, you cannot get involved in a church that's that far away. I'm sorry. Um, and then we tried churches closer to us. We eventually committed to a church that was relatively new. And again, with much trepidation, we tried desperately to get involved, got involved. And I, of course, I asked up front, I said, what is your position on women in church? And the pastor said to me... Well, in, in, in leadership, I assume, as opposed yeah, to in church. Yeah, well, yeah, in leadership. And he said, women can do anything in this church except be the senior pastor. And I thought, okay, I can live with that. That's fine. But then in, in reality, my observation was, this is not true. <laughs> because no woman ever preached. <laughs> I'd go so far as to say no woman that wouldn't even take up the collection. No woman was an elder. It was the same old story. And I just got... And then again, I saw, despite you know, getting involved, letting the pastor know that I could, that I had preaching experience, that I wanted to preach, um, was never encouraged or given any opportunity. Young guys, young guys with, you know, who really gave really, okay, you said I can use bad language. Yeah, of course you can. Gave really shitty sermons, were given platform time and again. And I just got, I just had enough. At that time, I, again, I, I started reading tons of literature about women. Um, so I had all the, the theology and I started following Rachel Held Evans um, as well online. And I was getting really passionate about women, the women issue. And so was my husband, mm. which was, was cool. Um, so he was at times getting mm. even more annoyed than me. And he was challenging the, the leadership. And then I just had one morning, which was just horrific, where the pastor and his wife decided to preach on men and women. And she just said some awful things that I, like, I just, at one point, and, and she said at one point, she said, and our husbands own us. 
Yeah. <laughs> what? On reflection afterwards, I realized she's actually Afrikaans. And so it was her second language. I mean, I met with her straight after the service. I met with both of them. Um, but I mean, I, I literally let out an involuntary gasp, like, <laughs> and I, and I'm looking around sure. and no one else is reacting. And I just walked out because I just couldn't bear it. And I, you know, I challenged the officers and I said, you cannot, like, I don't know what word you, th- you know, maybe you could have used the word we belong to each other or something, but like own, like, no, I'm sorry. No one owns me. <laughs> um, and at that point we were done. At that point it was like, <laughs> this is just too exhausting. We cannot, we just can't keep looking for this church that doesn't exist. At that point I had just, started following all these people on the internet and just finding, yeah, Rachel Held Evans and Sarah Bessie and just following mm-hmm. a lot of people and, and reading and reading their blogs and just totally relating. And I don't know, I just had a bigger, better connection with these people on the internet that I didn't even know than I'd ever had in a church. And just feeling like also... I don't need another sermon in my life. Church is just about going to sing a bunch of songs and listen to a sermon. Like I can do that because I can access all the worship I need or songs because I, you know, worship is not singing. I can access all the sermons I want online as well. So why would I drive 40 minutes to go and do that? And also just realizing, okay, I'm in my 40s now. Like I have my own community of friends who all go to different churches, but I've got my Christian friends. They're the people I want to have conversations with. They're the people that if I do something that needs addressing are going to address me. They're the people that are going to be there for me if I've got a problem. I, I don't know. So much of church for me has just felt so artificial and so forced I think that's probably the the best word so forced I've been in so many home groups where I felt I have nothing in common with these people (laughs) nothing um you know except that supposedly we we love Jesus but yet our views are so different about what that means and feeling judged and I don't know you know so like yes there's that, that there's that sense um like like C.S. Lewis said, you know, like uh, he's got that thing where he says, you know, realizing that the guy next to you, um, even though you've got nothing in common with him, you know, that's that's what the brotherhood of Christianity is about. I mean, I, I get that, but um, but but also just feeling like so much of what goes for community in church is really just so fake. And I and I suppose also with this church, the very last church we left. Um, the minute we left, it was, we were politely, after a couple of weeks, we were sort of politely asked to leave the home group. And so I just thought, well, then, like, what is, what is that? You know, it's like, it's like, then we have no worth in ourselves. Like, we can only love you if you think exactly like we do. And since you no longer do. My choice for words in response to that are a lot less, uh, a lot less oh, polite right. than yours. <laughs> I think, yeah, at that point, you just sort of feel like, I felt like I don't need that structure called church anymore. And I, 
and I guess I've been exploring that more and more and and seeing more and more. And that's when I started to realize so many people feel this way. So many people have the same issues with church. And whenever people um, started to talk uh, about that, like, oh, you know, this is so terrible. People are leaving the church. I would just say, I don't think that's negative at all because these people are leaving the church are not leaving God. They are just going, leaving the building. And I believe there's a movie but I've never seen it called leaving the leaving the God has left the building or something. But like to me, the, the idea that the church is finally leaving the building is fantastic because I think too many churches are just these insular little clubs. Um, and I think, I think God is the one who's causing people to leave the building and be in the world. And be Christians in the world. And I think that's the whole point of being salt and light is to be in the world, not to be in the church in terms of a building. Because by default, you are the church. So I think it's something to be celebrated. Um, I think there's a huge body of believers who are just now, you know, freestyle in the world, on the internet. And why not? I, I don't understand people having a problem with people being on the internet because the whole world's on the internet <laughs> so we need christians on the internet <laughs> and i think it's exciting i think the, the the dialogue out there is exciting um i mean just everything i mean the amount of podcasts you can get now and listen to you know um yeah, yeah. In fact, there's this, there's this lesser known one I'd recommend to you called The Urban Mystic. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've heard of it. <laughs>